0: If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android.
1: You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. It's time to get lost and rewound.
2: Welcome to you. You are indeed now locked into a brand new episode of Lost and If You've been checking in the past few weeks, wondering where we went. Thank you for your patience. We are still here. (laughs) My name is Ilan Danziger, and once again, I will be joined this hour by my crew, consisting of Rachel Teichman and Will Hastie. On this edition, Will's kid brother Sam joins us, officially completing the trifecta of siblings who have appeared on this show. We travel to some truly remarkable places over the course of the next 50 some odd minutes, and there is not a moment to spare. So let us begin on this week's journey. To all of our listeners,
3: I'd like to introduce somebody who I love very, very much. He is a strategist and consultant in Active Impact Investments, Sam Hasty.
2: Sam Hasty, welcome to Lost and Rewound.
1: Thanks. I'm really <laughs> happy to be here
2: you are uh, currently stationed in vancouver british columbia a beautiful beautiful city
1: and apparently the um botanic garden here is exceptional it I, is I'm, exceptional so
2: i've been told um yeah. you, you've been living there for how long now
1: uh so i got here on march 4 oh, sorry february 14th of 2020 which is quite a time to arrive anywhere I came here initially to visit and then got stuck here during the pandemic and wasn't granted a work visa until September. So in September I officially uh, was allowed to reside here without having to leave six months later.
2: Not a bad city to get stuck in, except I know that it can be really rough in the winter. So you got there I got in the stuck winter. Here in the summer.
1: Yeah. I got I, I got there <laughs> in March. I got stuck here when it was seventy five and sunny every day. <laughs> That's it actually fair. worked out quite well. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's cool. That's cool that you've been adjusting. Uh, you know, my understanding from your line of work is is that you are, uh, really heavily involved in climate change and climate tech and what a place to be spearheading that kind of movement. You want to talk a little bit more about what your company does?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. We raise money from, what uh, we call limited partners in you know in this industry in venture capital and private equity. Limited partners are people that invest in funds. And then the funds, you know, pick a bunch of cool startups that fit their thesis and put money behind them and hopefully other resources and support to help those companies grow and sort of like grow their impact, grow their revenue depending on what it is you're investing in. For us, we're looking at companies that quantifiably reduce GHG emissions or otherwise make our planet more sustainable. So that's things like diverting waste from landfills, right? With like circular economy and sharing economy type business models.
3: Can you clarify circular models?
1: Yeah, sure. So like circular economy models are just, instead of things going into the trash and never being used again, like refurbishing things that would otherwise be used as waste or just using it in a different way um, that it doesn't have to go to landfill. So for example, there's a company we're looking at now that takes waste from the winemaking process and instead of it going to the compost pile, which produces tons of methane over the process of getting composted, it takes all that, turns it into this puree that goes into Beyond Meat burgers and makes them taste more like meat. Um, and uh, also, I, I don't know if I'm like allowed to say things like Beyond Meat because like, I sh- I'm just using an example of where it would go. I actually don't think they have a contract with Beyond Meat right now. So like, full they, disclaimer, hey, I don't want to get arrested here. Sure, sure. Uh, no, right? it's a good... But, it's like, a- Good template though. Yeah, I'm just trying to give like a vision of like what the company's trying to do. Um, Meatless meat. Yeah, all kinds of meatless meat. Um, And like for all these different reasons, this like wine waste has all these really great properties. Like it uh, is a shelf stabilizer without really high salt content. So most of the meat alternatives that you guys might look at or consume have super high salt concentrations. And so this is a way to get that meat-like taste without having a super high salt concentration and like maintaining that shelf life. So that's just one example. We haven't invested in them yet. Like we're just looking at them, but that's an example of what you call like circular economy.
2: Were you ever on the other side, were you ever working with a startup that was doing similar things to what basically your company is investing in?
1: No, so that's such a good question and that's normally the way it goes, but I have a super goofy path to this particular moment in time um, that is like very non-traditional. So I guess the short answer is no, And there's like, you know, other experiences I've had that have gotten me here, but not operating a you know a climate focused startup.
2: How did you get involved in it? Tell us. Okay. Tell us more.
1: Are we going short version or are we going long version? Like we got we got we got time as long as you
2: want, want, baby. Bring it out. Bring it out. (laughs) (laughs) You're in Um, Vancouver. Be be scenic.
0: Yeah. I want the George Washington Bridge version.
1: At, at, at rush hour or at yeah, rush hour. <laughs> <laughs> rush hour. We're going to all these rush hours. <laughs> um, so I started my career as a middle school math teacher. Um, oh wow! I, uh, yeah, w- I'm from New York City, uh, and I was lucky to get placed uh, at a teaching position in Memphis, Tennessee. And I taught in a Title I school, which is a school where uh, a certain portion of the students are on free or reduced lunch, and thus receive federal funds to su- like to subsidize the low income populations that they're working with. I actually miss teaching a lot. I, I really um, felt so grateful to meet like a lot of a really, really amazing like young people and families that um, have like more grit and strength and intelligence than I'll ever have. Um, and uh, and then while there, I, I helped uh, you know a buddy of mine start a nonprofit that was focused on economic development. In the city of Memphis, roughly 70% of the population is black and Latinx. So, and this, I might be working with old data now, but when we got started, It was 63% African-American and 7% Latinx, roughly. If you added up all the business revenue in the city, less than 2% of the revenue came from Black and Latinx-owned businesses. So there was this really profound ownership gap, right? And and this really profound gap in in wealth creation uh, across the city. Um, And so that makes it not just sort of like an ethical um issue around systemic inequality it's also like an economic development issue it's sort of like a dollars and cents like how can we make the city how can we help the city grow if um you know 70 percent of the population has access to such a small portion portion of the ownership and, and wealth creation in the city uh, and then at the same time there was all this really cool research coming out about something called brain targeted teaching um which is about uh basically you know there's a lot to it but the thing that's pertinent to this particular conversation is that when students have ownership over what they're learning and building their skills growth and retention skyrockets and so we said how can we sort of like put these two together um and we helped like basically the way the program works is we help black and latinx high school students launch businesses and then we provide an eight year sort of like pipeline of support to ensure that they're given the proper dollars proper additional support systems so that they can either like really high wage jobs and create wealth, you know, in the community and for themselves that way, or start businesses that are profitable and grow and, you know, become super successful for the community as a whole. Um, yeah.
2: It's, It's fascinating that you were given the opportunity to do this in of all cities, Memphis. Um, but of course, you know, that was just based on the fact that you were there teaching already, um, giving yourself that experience of not just teaching the youth, but also, um, just revitalizing the general, like local economy, that sounds like a huge step up and a huge. uh I guess the word would be uh, a responsibility.
3: Well, I am yeah, going to step mean- in here. I am going to step in here as a brother and just say that Sam really was the one who, as a Teach for America teacher, seemed to identify what was a st- systemic issue within the city of Memphis, and then essentially create this initiative almost on his own.
1: No, no, I didn't create it on my own. So, like. Definitely did not get it. what I just said. He gives Uh, you
2: way too much credit. Damn. Wow.
1: No, but I actually think like, it's so interesting, right? Like I was so grateful to have really great students and really great parents that held me accountable the first year I taught. I didn't do anything. Like I'm not catalyzing anything. There's greatness in Memphis. It's just a matter of like getting the right resources to the right people that are already doing great things. Right. That's it. Right. And, and like, when I first got there, I had a full on savior complex. Like when I, I remember when I wrote my uh, application letter to teach there, I was like, I'm going to come into this, to this district and I'm going to, you know, show these underprivileged kids how to work hard and how to do what's right and they'll be successful. When in reality, like, fuck off. Like, I don't know what's right. Like I'm not my, you know, like my privilege doesn't mean correctness and where I come from, like, I, I probably was more well versed in what was wrong than what was right because I had all these different like sets of training wheels that allowed me to fail like allowed me not to fail when I should have failed. And so uh, like learning that lesson early in the process and realizing like this is not about me doing anything for anybody else other than just like being the cheering section for those that are already super capable and helping everybody that looks down on this community realize that the community should not be looked down on. right? It's a very different mindset. Um, And that's sort of like part of why the angle that we took with the nonprofit was the angle that we took, which is like, there's greatness in here. They just don't have money to start a business, for example. So let's give them some money to start a business. And like, they don't have access to the right paid internships. So let's make sure that we have enough money that even if corporations don't want to pay 18 and 19 year olds for internships, we'll pay them like a living wage so they can go take a free internship. And then as they grow, you know, the corporate will start paying. So yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I'm going on a bit of a rant there. Man, I no, wish
0: man. I was on that path. Love it,
2: yeah. <laughs> what made you decide to be involved in the Teach for America program in the first place?
1: Well, the savior complex that we've already talked about that True. Should, should True. shouldn't exist, right? And there's right. a problem. But, I could um, talk all
0: day about the white savior complex.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you could. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's part of it. But I think another big part of it was that In college, I was pretty interested in politics and policy, and I kind of got more and more interested in politics and policy. And I sort of felt that I was getting increasingly discouraged even a decade ago about what the divide in our country was looking like, how intense and polarized things felt then, I mean, let alone how they feel now. Part of what I felt was a good thing to do with my time was making sure that our education systems across the state I mean, across the country, across the different states, aligned enough in quality that we could have a conversation about facts, right? Like across the board, right? Like I think there's a a saying, right? That the most important piece to a well-functioning democracy is a well-educated electorate. And so that was part of what sort of like made me feel that, that teaching would be interesting. And then the other side of it was I was really lucky to get involved with a nonprofit in college that I volunteered with called Urban Impact. And I just felt that that really refilled my cup in a way that some of the other things I was doing in my life didn't. So, you know, you put those two together and Teach for America seemed to make a lot of sense.
0: How do you make sure that you are empowering others rather than imposing your ability to save them from
1: something? Mm -hmm. So when you say empowering, you're not talking about empowering other white people with a white savior complex to not be that way as much you're asking about empowering people that don't look like you and that don't have the privilege you have. Yeah. When I was having a really, really hard time my first year teaching and I was really just doing a shitty job, no matter how hard I tried. I had an amazing coworker who took me aside and she just said, you will never be able to survive a year, let alone a career in this profession, if you can't see the good. And I think that that's one of the juxtapositions about, teaching in general, but especially teaching when you've got all the elements of like white savior complex and low-income community and, you know, systems of oppression that have lasted for hundreds of years, is this idea that like, oh, I'm supposed to be here and fix things and make things better because I want purpose. And so you look for the bad and you try to fix the bad, right? And that actually is like super cancerous. Like that mindset is so bad for, for you. It's yeah. so bad for the, the people you work with. It's so bad for everybody. Um, and if you start with what's good, right? And you really focus on what's good. Like, it's amazing how quickly things get great. And so it's, it's really more like this mindset about like asset focused thinking in general, like across the board. Because the other thing about children, especially, but like, I think people in general, like we all like attention. It's just a matter of where we like to get attention from. And with young people, if you're giving attention to the good things, like more people want to do the good things. Right? Strengths-based. So, yeah, exactly.
3: One of the things that I love most about Light is the mission that they put on, essentially the parameters they put on the business that these kids are trying to found.
1: Why is a complicated thing for all of us? Like why we do things has a lot of levels, right? And it's like, it's deep. We have some students that build businesses because like a relative died of something like cancer and it like rips them apart. And they're like, I want to do something about this, right? That was the case with one of our students in our first cohort, actually. Basically, she built a business around creating programs to raise money for cancer. And it was a nonprofit and she was great at it. We have a student that started this really cool thing called Grow Smart, where you take food waste from schools, convert it to fertilizer, and then sell it to community gardens. So a really cool like circular economy type thing. And that's awesome. I don't know if like Timmy, who founded it, was like exceptionally passionate about environment, but it was like a cool thing that he stumbled on that he thought would work pretty well. And we were all really stoked about it. So like the point is like passion varies with each person, right? Yeah. Um, but I think for us, like we always try to stay grounded in the problem that feels most acute for our students. What's the problem that you see in the world that hurts you? Like that moves you most Maybe hurts you most isn't the right word, but like, yeah. and that's, that's where we start.
2: What right? motivates you? Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: I have a yeah. question. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's, it's not meant to be combative, although it might sound I love, I love like it. it. No, it's yeah. not at all. No, um, and it's and I'm asking this from like my own experience in stuff. So, yeah. what's the process of measuring possible harm when
1: trying to do good? Mm, such a good question, and something we suck at measuring right now. So, like, <laughs> I like I guess you know it, it. It's so interesting that the space I'm in now has actually taught me a lot more about that than anything I've done before this. And I think that that's because we f- have felt, I shouldn't speak for anybody else, I have felt from the beginning with our work at Light that racial inequality is such a pivotal and cancerous thing that exists in our society. The first goal is to make sure that our young people have opportunities to build businesses and fail quickly and learn quickly and grow quickly so they get more confidence and can make you know, lots of money when they grow up. And so that's probably like created blinders around unintended consequences. And I think a lot of people in nonprofit world actually like probably experience that like more than we care to talk about broadly. It's like yeah. Cuz in a lot of ways like people feel like the ends justify the means, right? There's this really cool book called Bad Blood. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but there's this uh, woman named Elizabeth Holmes who founded a blood testing company called Theranos. Oh yeah, sure. yeah, like yeah, yeah. I know all a about this. What was so wild, like this woman was a pathological liar towards the whole like, you know, back half of her of building this company. And she duped some of the smartest, most like high power people in the country. Henry Kissinger was on her board and he like, she like totally duped him. Like just as an example, and there were several others, like George Schultz, like huge names. And what was so interesting is she didn't start off like thinking she was lying to everybody. Like she thought she was really building something that was going to change the world.
4: What happened was...
1: Yeah. But what happened was she got to a point where even though it wasn't true in that moment and she knew she was just flat out lying about certain stuff, she felt the ends justified the means because she thought she'd get there. Right. And like, I actually think we see that kind of stuff in non like she would lie about the, you know, the, whether the machine worked as an example. Right. And so she's like, well, we're going to get there. So I'm just going to say, I'm going to say that we're there now, because if I say we'll get there, we'll get more money and we'll get there and it's going to change the world. Oh, dear. So like, it, you know what I mean? So it's like this pathological, like, really kind of messed up psychology, but that exists a lot in nonprofit world. And yeah. what's so interesting now is like, there's so much greenwashing in the CO2 emissions reduction space. I've had to get way better at like calling BS when people are like, we're going to reduce this much. And I'm like, wait, what about like all the refrigerant uh, liquid that's getting leaked from your like advanced refrigeration technique yeah. Like yeah. You say is going to reduce all these CO2s. But that's actually like the the like the single most intense contributor to ghg emissions when that refrigerant leaks right so there's like all these like unintended consequences that we need to think about
2: how did you get from more community involved economic you know awareness and you know building to this place where you are more or less helping make the environment better um, yeah. You know, it's all—it's all very much related, of course, and especially yeah. you know the fact that it's systemic racism and climate change are interconnected. But um, yeah. where, where's the connection with you and where you come in?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So goofy again, like goofy path. So I'm I'm teaching, I'm doing nonprofit stuff, and I really enjoy both. And then I got this grant to go to Europe for a year and it's research. Great. Just
2: a pause. This grant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so I got this grant. Fuck <laughs> you. you. You are
2: such an older brother, man. Jesus, let them talk.
1: Yeah, we'll get there. Um, so anyway, so I got this grant to go uh, to Poland for a year. And it was really cool, actually. So I was able to write the application about sort of two things. So one was education broadly, because the Polish education system had seen this really effective reform in the year 2000 that catapulted it forward in terms of the quality of education it was providing as young people. And I had had all this experience in education, but I was also basically wrote a part of the application where like when I'm not working on the education policy assessment side, and and when I'm, and I'm not teaching in the classroom, I want to research financing and support systems for new ventures in rural areas in Poland. And that's because Poland had implemented all these different uh, programs to basically help create the next Google in Poland, right? Like, there's all these countries in Europe that really desperately want the next multinational conglomerate to come from their country. Like, who wouldn't, right? They're sick of all the Fang stocks that are all U.S. stocks that all their citizens use, right? They want more Polish ownership, just as an example. I'll
3: clarify what Fang stocks are.
1: Oh, sorry, Fang stocks. So it's uh, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, um, Netflix, and Google. Right. So like the, the five, five of the biggest tech, tech stocks in the world um, and, and the, their first letters spell out F-A-A-N-G-S right? or F-A-A-N-G thing. Anyway, so I'm going, so I, I get this grant to go and I spend a day a week teaching. I spend the rest of my time researching these financing systems. And so I got money to basically go to startup conferences all around Europe to see the way these different government organizations are subsidizing startups and subsidizing. Cause that's, that was like intimately connected to my work at light. Like how do we help these brand new businesses, these new people that want to start new things? What are the things available, the resources available to help them start these things. And it was awesome. Like it was a blast. And while I was there, I had way more alone in free time than I ever thought I would. And like, it was like, it was really challenging personally for a bunch of reasons. Cause I'm an extrovert and like, I get my energy from other people and I was like alone in this tiny little town in Poland most of the time. Mm. Um, but uh, the dream, yeah, exactly. That's that's what whatever young boy in America dreams of. Um,
2: I, hey, uh, my <laughs> family is based in Poland in some capacity. I would uh, love to tr- try my hand at uh, learning more about my heritage. Yeah. You're already a leg up ahead of me, man.
1: It's a we already know place. we're cousins. Yeah, <laughs>
2: that's true.
1: It's, Poland's a fascinating place, and also like I could say so many good things about the people there, just like broadly and the culture. Where in Poland were you? Um, I was in a town called Kochelen, which is about four hours east of Berlin. So it's like way Northwest in the country. Yeah. Right on the Baltic sea. While I was there, I actually like, I started to see these startups. Um, Some of them were really cool. And I'd created these relationships with some people back at, you know, stateside that were funding our nonprofit. So like whether they were like family offices, which are basically, if you guys aren't familiar, it's when somebody makes a ton of money, um, and has like literally more money than they know what to do with, they set up what's called a family office, which is like basically four or five people, sometimes way more, that are just responsible for managing their money. So like, we're gonna hire a bunch of people that just like is gonna like invest for us because we don't want to deal with it. These are people generally with like billions of dollars. I had like started to send them some of the cool startups I was seeing and like a couple of them were like looking at them and saying like, oh, I think I might invest. And so I, I created some relationships with people that were investing. Um, And I started to like put a little bit of my own money in with these guys, like when they'd invest in certain things. So I got more and more interested in sort of like startups and investing in startups and how to help startups. Um, And then I got connected to this really cool venture capital firm in New York called Harlem Capital Partners, um, which was founded by uh, four black guys that were all under 30 at the time. They were going to raise a $25 million fund, was their goal. And initially, I reached out because I wanted to connect our young people in Memphis with more people that were writing checks that looked like them, right? Like, we need, especially our young people in Memphis who are only seeing like the guys on billboards are mostly like the white guys, right? That have, have owned the majority of the wealth because of the systems that oppression, of oppression that exists in our country. And so, we'll, you know, we've been trying to be really intentional, not just about getting other entrepreneurs that are people of color in front of our students but also check writers that are people of color that are you know that are in front of our students that are actually investing in these businesses and making a decision on which things to invest in and then we created like a, a really good relationship like me and the harlem capital guys and i ended up working with them i was interning with them and then i was a, a what's called a venture fellow with them um and they raised a 40 million dollar fund and it's been really successful so i i'm not i'm now going on like a really circuitous path like sorry i'm, I'm going down the rabbit hole i ended up you know, here in Vancouver. And now I'm uh, working with this, this VC focused on GHG emission reduction.
2: I want to uh, bring attention to a post that you uh, put on, I uh, believe it was uh, LinkedIn recently. Yes. Uh, LinkedIn is uh, something that I am on as well. Um, I don't <laughs> use it in a social media capacity. However, I understand that uh, there is a good reason why a lot do um but you shared something uh of which uh for a lot of folks uh who are trying to uh you know pitch ideas and be in many ways uh you know venture capitalists but like for you know doing the for the good for the betterment of the world and not just for their own uh, betterment uh, there is personally. No good
0: capitalism
3: <laughs>
2: You've took the GMAT seven times, you completed 20 MBA applications, you spent over $10,000 on test prep, application fees and classes to prepare, and then you didn't get in anywhere. You cried, you questioned your worth, you doubted your ability more times than you can count. And then you announced the first close of a $41 million for a fund focused on investing in technologies to combat climate change. That's impressive. And also like Bravo, that you were able to do what you had to do which is to be creative and not necessarily go the exact same path that everybody else goes to accomplish something magnificent as that. Um, Thank you. And That's very kind of you. You're welcome. And I would like to point out the last thing in this uh, status, status, this status update, this status update uh, in which you respond, you say, this isn't about sticking it to Harvard. Or Stanford. This is about letting go of the assessments that hold you back and choosing joy and faith to push you forward. Your work is never for naught. Keep going. Keep the faith in yourself and in a power greater than you. Do more for others than is expected. Like who birthed you to come up with such like <laughs> altruistic <laughs> standpoint in life? Like you yeah. guys have are, are from the same uh, parents, and uh, you are both doing like totally different things in your life and that's just just wild to me just to be seeing someone writing something so uh it, just beautiful just a be- beautiful thank uh you. and the word would be um inspirational uh words i don't know i like it a lot and what's the view count at this particular one? One
1: hundred fifty thousand something I'm, I'm, listen it's crazy Elon, thank you so much that's very very kind of you um and uh like I don't know what else to say except like thank you that that means a lot to me that you're being so kind about it
2: on this show we are immersed in the world of learning about how we got from there to here and Mm -hmm. you know we're gonna be getting into some very very early early uh snippets of Sam and Will Hasty um what did you want to be when you grew up
1: (laughs) yeah um like it totally depends on when right I think that what where where my brother and I both lucked out tremendously was this combination of two parents both of whom worked very hard but were both very good at reminding us that we weren't super special and that we should be very grateful for everything we have I don't mean that like facetiously like I think that on its own can have challenges. But the other side of the equation that was tremendous There's a woman that's incredibly impo- important to both me and my brother, a woman named Doreen Nurse. And we could talk about you know her, her role in our lives maybe you know, later or a different time. But Doreen was the most giving soul that I'd ever met. And so the combination of this you know, reminder that we were incredibly privileged constantly from our parents and that we you know, had been given way more than we ever deserved from our parents with someone who was really, really giving, uh, I think, um, was like a really powerful combination, uh, in terms of sort of like driving towards what mattered to me when I was a really little human being. Like, for example, you know, I don't know, it might've been five where for one of my birthdays, I asked the children who attended my birthday to give to charity instead of giving me presents. That's what? not something that, no, but that's not something that a five-year-old, like I didn't a think A five-year-old of that doesn't do that. Exactly. Like I didn't no, but that's the whole point is I didn't what? think of that. It wasn't something like, it wasn't an original thought. It was, it was like Doreen's influence on me that like, Hey man, like there's a lot of people that need a lot. I know you think your presents are cute and stuff, but like, let's think about what really matters here. And so I think that was really important. That's always, that's always existed. And then, you know, when I grew up a little bit and was like eight, nine, 10, I wanted to be an athlete. I want to be a professional athlete more than anything in the world. And I kept wanting to do that. And that actually led me down like a not so good path where it was like all based on ego and wanting to be super cool and wanting everybody to care about me. And I wasn't very good at sports, which didn't help. Um, And then, (laughs) and then Uh, in, in college, I actually hit a low point where like, even though I wasn't very good at them, like my entire identity had been caught up in sports. Like I was an athlete, that was what mattered to me. I wanted to play pro sports. I would have done anything to play pro sports. And I got cut from my college team my sophomore year um, because I sucked at baseball and because I was drinking my face off and I was like fat. Like I was I was eating all you can eat. Pancakes every Wednesday at IHOP, literally no joke. Because Tuesday night I'd go out and drink way too much, and then Wednesday morning I'd go to all you can eat pancakes at IHOP. I was depressed. I had just been through a breakup. I was just a terrible human being, kind of all the way around. This is going to be a scary statement, but I promise it's not as bad as it sounds. I was really lucky to find religion at that time in my life and to start doing community service. I was actually just talking to a friend earlier. She's uh, one of my coworkers. is from Austria, and Austria is a very Catholic country, right? Like, but it's actually. quite similar to Poland. Poland's 97% white and 96% Catholic, right? Um, And I actually, I did Bible study every Tuesday for the last two years of college, Well, for, for like two years towards the end. But then I stopped at a point when I started to be given this burden of evangelizing others, right? Like there comes a point, at least in this, I'm sure every religion and every like, even like church is different, right? But this particular group was like, okay, you've been around for a couple of years now, like it's your responsibility to go like bring other people into into our religion. And religion's always been something that's really personal to me. Like I, when I go to church, I like sit by myself in the back and I don't talk to anybody. Like that's the way I've always thought of it. Um, And uh, I know for other people like community, the whole church thing is super, that whole community thing is really important. The visibility thing is really important, like all that stuff. One of the things I started doing religiously in Poland was meditating. I haven't been in church in years. Um but I think like Not meditation how do it I mean meditation is a really cool way to connect to like the planet and the universe, like faith is a complicated word because it's actually like when I use the word i don't mean like i don't it has nothing to do with God when I say faith like when I say faith it's like like I believe in something literally something bigger than me, like I just believe that there are other things at play that are bigger than me as a human being on this you know on this planet right um because whether you're religious or not, I think that faith is really important to think clearly.
2: We got more with Sam Hasty coming right up after this quick word from RFB. This is Lost and Rebound.
0: Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air. Support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate.
2: A number of occasions uh, we were treated to some visual uh experiences shall we say nice. um through the world of will hasty uh really the lens of uh his father uh your father as well My sam father. um the guy <laughs> and there's so much in the archives that we were not treated to i feel kind of jilted a little bit uh sh- a little bit hurt that there was so much that was not shared with this show But there's a disc that uh, Will left with me, and uh, I got a chance to uh, rummage through it uh, before we recorded. And some of it has already made it in past episodes. If you are interested, whoever's out there listening, so you want to listen to past episodes uh, and maybe hear some of these. I know one of them is Sleeping Bag, another one's called Battles of Will. (laughs) Um, and a, a few different episodes of which feature some excerpts of the childhood of Will Hasty as well as Sam Hasty. Uh, you can go to those episodes and find them at soundcloud.com/slash lost and rewound. They're also on Apple Podcasts and also our main site, if you're not familiar, which is radiofreebrooklyn.org/slash lar. But today, We uh, are going to mostly uh, dive into some unheard clips from these archives. Uh, It it is from one year, and it is from the year of which, Will, you are seven or turning seven. And uh, Sam, you are three. You have just turned three. I love it. Is there anything that you can remember? (laughs) Before we jolt your memory. (laughs) When I was
1: three. I remember when I was four, I was in pre-K, and I walked in on a girl going pee, and I didn't understand why she was sitting down doing it, and I got in a lot of trouble. That's one thing I remember.
2: <laughs> there's, a, there's a clip that we won't play, but I definitely caught, caught you sitting on a toilet being like,
1: "How what is? how does this
2: work? Not sure I should have watched it but I watched it. (laughs) I enjoyed it. No, I don't know. I'm about to be a dad. So like, I'm like constantly thinking to myself, like, "Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm like, am I going to have a boy? And like, if they do, if I do have a boy, I'm like, I'm like looking at these videos in such a different lens now as a, you know, a curator, as a host and everything. So it's just fascinating to me to be watching this, but let's, let's, can I, can I
0: make a, can I make a promise to you? Make a promise children, young kids, regardless of their sex or gender are all equally disgusting.
2: Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Are we ready to uh, listen, to watch this first uh, snippet?
1: Ready, spaghetti. Round.
2: Indeed. Let's, Let's do roll. it. Hi, Mr. Rollerblade. Hi, Mr. Rollerblade. Don't fall down.
5: You are great. You're so good. You are so good. Come
3: on. Now here it's different. It's hard, it's harder. The surface is harder here, so be careful. Okay, Sam, tell me now, why do you want to go rollerblading? Why do you like it? Why do you like it?
2: Okay, now stop here. Goodness gracious, that was adorable.
0: It was flaming is what it was.
2: Yes, for it was. Our,
3: for our audience, we've got three-year-old Sam in what was his classic Universal t-shirt in rollerblades inside a house being filmed by our father. And three-year-old quasi-communicative Sam is trying to figure out what the hell he's doing. It was
1: <laughs>
2: Yeah, That looks like, uh, if my chronology is correct, you had just gotten a... Uh, set of a uh, uh, pair of roller blades. there was uh pads and knee pads and elbow pads this was yeah. your birthday present.
1: certainly no shortage of pads not, no not shortage of just, pads that much just clear in the video um uh, yeah were they
0: no. of the menstrual variety <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> covered you know and
1: i i'm just glad that from a young age i had a skill for evidence-based reasoning I I why, why i wanted to go rollerblade you
2: just wanted to go that's
1: it right I well to, there, there there there
2: is uh footage uh here uh, you know you grew up in brooklyn heights you grew up uh right on the promenade do you guys remember uh roller like rollerblading was that a thing that like the family did
1: i don't know i'm such a scaredy cat now that if it was i must have gotten <laughs> in some accidents as a kid because like it, i won't get on rollerblades at all right now it, like i would be terrified if you put me on rollerblades right now so Whatever happened didn't work out. That's that much we know.
3: <laughs> Sam is being Sam is Sam is being modest in the sense that Sam Sam is Sam is in reality very, very, very tough and has taken a lot of big hits and continues to constantly stand up and keep going. That is kind of Sam's MO. And in his early years, this was basically the beginning of that experience. His nickname at that age from the family was Slam. Because he loved going at ridiculous speeds and would always end up running in into-
1: <laughs> there's actually there's a scar. I don't know if you can see this along. You see this little scar on my head? Like the uh, hairline. What it, looks like, it, it, looks, it looks like a hairline. Yeah. So when I was Hold on. eight. Oh, go ahead. Show it to me again. Sorry. sorry. Okay. So you see it's right, it's just a tiny little sliver right there along oh, the Oh wow. The okay. okay.
3: All for, all for, two seconds. for our listeners, on Sam's hairline, it literally looks like a hairline going in, but it is
1: actually yeah. a big cut. So but, I was sure, sure. I was eight. And I was running through the house and I slipped on a, i think it was a belt or maybe it was a tie, like a necktie that was on the floor. And there's uh, this, this part of my parents' closet where there's like a, a little uh, corner that sticks out as you sort of like go to another room. And I just rocked this corner, right? And so I split my head open and you know, we go to the hospital. I was not feeling very well. So on the ride to the hospital, <laughs> I put my head down on the middle console to like rest. So when I show up to the emergency room, I had this like trail of blood across my my whole forehead. And the emergency room nurse like screamed. She was like, oh. like, it's like she thought it was like level 10 emergency because she thought I'd split like my whole forehead in half. Oh um, God. Luckily, it was fine. And they did like <laughs> three, five stitches in there. And I, you know, took off uh, the pads that Rachel was referring to and got got right back to work.
2: I don't remember this happening, but my sister had to go to the emergency room uh, for some similar uh, shenanigans. She was three and was dancing on a table and split her head open. And it was rough. Like I remember I have like very vague visuals of what it looked like. And just I remember it being like odd level of like horror movie-esque grossness and just being like, like wanting to just like tune it out. And, like, yeah. and, and it was like one of those moments where I was like, that is exactly why I will never do death-defying shit <laughs> or like I've be ultra careful.
1: Uh, I've split my head open or I've, I've had some kind of adhesive necessary for my head five times, maybe six now. Um, yeah, there's been a bunch of head cracking open. Oh, yeah.
2: Even pre-baseball, yeah? Pre-baseball. You, yeah, wanna...
1: yeah, I, uh, you know, one, one time I, I fell off the back of a golf cart and oh. crack my head up. And yeah, that, that time I used glue, I used glue, I used glue, glue adhesive. Um, one time I was at camp
4: oh, and goodness. I had,
1: I had just kissed this girl for the first time and I was pumped. And so I sprinted back to my cabin to tell all my buddies and I tripped on the way going you know, like on the step to go into the cabin and I like, there was like a screw in the door that, like, just, like, oh no. Yeah, it split my head open. So oh. I, had to go, I, had to, I had to go get staples, right? Like, so that was, I've had adhesive, I, these were stitches, that was staples over here. But you know what? The, like, that wasn't even the most painful part. The most painful part was the next day, I remember, I, like, before my head started bleeding. So I, I got up and, like, was so jazzed up, I had so much adrenaline, that I went to tell my buddy Frank. I was like, oh, I kissed this girl. And Frank was like, how many Mississippis was it? I still remember him asking "Like how long, how long my kiss was. Like, that was the caliber for whether it was a real kiss was how many Mississippis the kiss was. And so anyway, like then I'm like, oh, whoa, my head is bleeding. So anyway, went to the hospital. like got my got my staples. Oh, damn. Went to go see Camilla. Her name was Camilla. Went to go see Camilla the next day. And I forget how it came up. I was like, I don't remember how I asked or what I asked, but we were by the lake. And... She said something like, was that your first kiss? And I might have said, why? I don't think I said yes. I might have been like, why? And she said, I could tell. And <laughs> it was the most painful thing anybody's ever said to me today.
2: I want to make a note, too, that from all I could tell, your head is more or less a palette for uh, arts and crafts because you've got staples and you've got...
1: glue. Uh, yeah.
2: All yeah, you need know, is a little paper mache or some kind yeah, of like.
1: Yeah, I've had a, I've had a bunch of head injuries. I've had internal bleeding in my head. I've had all Ooh, yeah. yeah. Oh, real
3: quick, do you want to mention the number of bones you break with broken?
1: I, a yeah. lot. No no, no, I, no, no, a lot. Yeah, yeah we'll get that. Okay.
2: Let's let's move on to the next clip. Sam, tell
5: Daddy about going trick or treating tonight. Was it fun? Yeah. Who were you? me
4: And
5: what was your name? Danny no, your name is the crash dummy. Yeah. Or do you want to meet one of these big, no, okay. um, the, the busiest people ever? Yeah. So what did people do all day? Did you give him some muffins? Yeah. How about the green turtle? Okay. Did you give him? and magic carpet. Are a magic carpet? Okay. Which book should we read first? If you give him something other. What,
4: sweetheart? Hey, Dad. Dad,
5: come on. Please. Oh, sweetie, so you can't eat all your all your. Room. Oh, I see. You can't re- eat all your Halloween candy tonight, you know that, right? You can have right. three pieces of candy, and then you have to go brush your teeth. I three pieces? If you give a moose a muffin, he'll want some jam to go with it. So you'll bring out some of your mother's homemade blackberry jam. When he's finished eating the muffin, he'll take more. You're not really kissing him, Gardner. I saw. See if you
2: can come over here and give some big hug do you, think you can do that? You have
5: to go to the store. Bravo. Bravo. Classic. There's
0: something oh very God. relatable about that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> What's so relatable about it for you?
0: Uh, as a younger sibling myself, um everything about that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, uh, for those who what the visual is: uh, Why don't you paint the picture, Will Hasty? It was a.
3: It, we had two wonderful images there. We had one where we were Sam and I were sitting in what was the family room, where we're sitting on the couch, and Mom is very lovingly reading Sam a story, and I try to intervene, and she and I try to kiss his head, but I think I was just sort of screwing with him, really, just to get attention. As as I was talking about earlier, how we try to get attention in all of our own different ways and then when i actually leaned into kissing me leaned forward just just in anger just just fuck off man i don't want this and it was it was actually i think an experience that like every it sort of it was, it kind of surmises i feel like what every american family has somehow gone through in a two-family you know classic nuclear home
1: yeah well said <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> i love you for lying to me
1: anyway <laughs> i think one of the things that is most in- interesting about that is i actually make the the same exact face when i eat candy now as i did <laughs> <laughs> You made me. Okay. I, I felt like it's like, like true. I just it looked like I just went blank, huh? Like yeah, like, I had this, like I sugar was, rush really just too much got sugar you. for me to think about anything. Like I'm just, <laughs> like just gonna eat this candy and love it.
3: You and do then have, cry a bunch
1: when my brother tries to kiss me.
3: You do have literally the same. You do have literally the same. Not literally the same reaction. You've got. You have got. I, I got to give you credit. You've got much more loving. But you do you you have that same you had that same reaction for a long time. Anytime I went anytime anywhere near your head,
1: yeah, I have a similar reaction when Gardner tries to hug me now.
2: <laughs> well, my thing was is like you know when you're eating candy, mm. you immediately I think depending on who you're with, you like you'll just you'll go crazy. I know that like my little cousins, and I know you guys have a, a number of them. Um, there would always be like 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 Passover or Thanksgiving, and then dessert, and then all the kids when they were in their younger years would just run the fuck around. No matter what, it was like you couldn't stop them. They went fucking buck shit crazy. Yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: That that, was my family
0: too. That was my family too. And like, as the youngest one, as they would be running around, I would be because I was so little. I would be the soccer ball.
2: Oh goodness!
3: (laughs) Sam played that role. Sam very lovingly played that role a number of times with our cousins and us, who who were sort of our big siblings. But Sam, do you remember that pink cover?
1: Do you remember Mom's and Dad's room looking that way? A, a, a little bit, like not, not much. Uh, I feel like there's a little bit of nostalgia there, but I've hit my head a bunch of times. Right? Like a <laughs> <lot> of <memories. laughs>
3: I mean, what's so shocking. And, and one of the real blessings of being on the show has been when I look back at those things, it is amazing to me how incredibly vivid those memories are. Are you having any experience along those lines or do you, or is that? Can I
1: just that- answer that question?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Am I trying to
2: you wanna 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 pull out some more pull out some more attitude? Okay, okay. No, <laughs> if we're if we're gonna be combative, okay oh, sorry, then sorry, no, no, no. It's 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 oh, perfect. Bring it. Please be no. combative. It, it's now gonna now be
1: this is this be a safe one. place. Both How is scary. your nonprofit ruining the world?
0: <laughs> well, I can come up with a bunch of ways, but I will tell you them in May
3: and not sibling,
2: now. Sibling sibling rivalry is on full display here and it is in the form of Legos. Oh, nice. Here we go.
3: This ship is
4: now being fixed, and um, well, I call it a pirate ship, and we almost blew up Sam's ship. If he tries to, if he tries to get his ship one more time, we're going to use our cannons and blow the ship right out of the water. So um, right now I'm stuck in the water, but it's a good thing that I'm huge because uh, right now I'm sitting on the bottom of the water. Right now I'm sitting on the ocean floor. Yeah, but the problem is it's now fixed. It's now fixed. It's oh. And um uh, as you can see, you can lose my food. Uh you s oh. this ship. Oh,
5: so you there are a lot of things that are not quite right about it. Okay, so now listen, me. Why don't we give it, what's the matter? Have you had a bad morning? Yeah. How come your morning's been so bad? You finished this pirate ship, which is beautiful. Isn't that a beautiful pilot yeah. ship? Did you and Mommy make that together? Yeah. Did you make the lights all by yourself? Uh-huh. Show sure, Dad the lights, where are the lights? Look at Oops! Oops. Show it up okay. to the camera. Show Daddy. Are oh, you gonna show him? Show them how they come off. Yeah. Oh, oh that came off again. And show Daddy how you put them together.
4: Daddy. Daddy. This part of is very strong. It can blow up anything. And it can blow up Garner's ship. And Daddy look. And Daddy look how many
5: butts it has. It has bullets for, where are the bullets? Oh, right there. They're for the cannonballs. Show Daddy where they are. Show show them, Show them. the audience. Right. Where are they? Daddy, right here? Is that what they, is that the cannonballs?
4: Yeah, these are the cannonballs,
5: Dad. Now, let's, what else should you show them? Do you want to show them the compass? Look at this. Sam, show them. <coughs> And it's, the pirates? Here's the flag, and here's the good guy pirates.
4: And okay, well, you have
5: to turn around, Sam, and show them for, by facing it. You have to face the camera. And here are the highlights. And here are and the cannons. Let's show them the cannons. Shall we open up? Do you want to open up the windows on that side? No. Close it. Close, Close it? it OK, 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 Sam. I just wanted to show the camera the cannons, because these cannons are neat. i to turn it around there, OK?
4: What you should ya walk the plank That choice is up to you The choice is up to you That choice is up to you The choice is up to you That choice is up to you That choice is up to you the Ho yeah, ho yeah, ho your ho your ho Oh and of Captain Hawk Her famous or her
0: famous or her. walking the plank ha- is is like so violent and yet as kids it's like the best part it's like it's like we resort to that immediately but like when when you make someone walk the plank you are effectively putting them to death
2: It's a rough place to be like y- 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 there's nowhere else to turn.
1: It is developmentally. I'm not sure if I was able to comprehend the consequences of my my actions at the time, but yeah, I probably agree. not. They were they were severe. As it was messed up.
3: As a three year old, I assume you had full conception of life and death.
1: The choice um, is up to you. The choice is
3: up. Uh, is that a sea
2: shanty? Did you make a? Did you inadvertently
3: create your own sea shanty? <laughs> uh, we had two lovely images where Sam and I were both building Lego pirate ships. Yes, and then competing with them. Uh, yeah. Against each other, and it was actually I, again. It's really it. It was really really sweet, but it was just wonder As a big brother, it is horrible to see those videos for me. As, as wonderful it is to remember those times, it's horrible because I'm. Oh my god, I was an asshole to my little brother. <laughs>
2: That's, and again, this is a, a classic trope of family life in a nuclear family household. Just like you were pointing out, It is a contention. I mean, I love my younger sister till due to this day, of course, but you know, there was definitely a time where I pretended like I absolutely loathed and hated her, probably you because at the time.
1: The
2: plank. Absolutely. Oh my God, absolutely.
0: My brother was going into her. slavery at his bar mitzvah.
2: She could walk the plank and I'll take the remote and she could go the hell. <laughs>
0: wait, wait, wait,
3: wait can we please unpack Rachel's brother turned her into slavery? On his he sold
0: table. me into slavery during his bar mitzvah. Oh
2: my God.
1: Seems that like, might well, be a whole other episode.
2: That it really is we've a very
1: done one. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> the, guy, the
3: guy just became a man, right? Like, technically, if, he, if he's trying to flex, the if he's trying to flex, I, like, you know.
1: Yeah, We're, I, weird flex, but okay. A few things that touched me about the video. One, my mom was like, "I was, I'm really impressed with my mom. Like the way she handled awful three year old me. Pretty, she's like, awesome. Like, man, good mom. Like, I need to be nicer to her. Also." She's so ahead of her time with swag, like yeah, my right, aunt, like right, like think that about, headband uh, game, that headband the, game, the, the oh, yeah. polo with the big letters. I feel like that's in right now. I mean, yeah. she's twenty years at yeah. thirty years out um, of the curve She like, looked like a zoomer. Throwing, now, wait, wait a minute. yeah, and throwing me on, uh, like you know, on the block in Brooklyn with you know overalls and a and a and a, uh, a white turtleneck. I'm not <laughs> yeah, I mean,
3: I mean the fact that we were in. Did anybody notice the matching sweatsuits I like matching costumes. That, true, true true. But all white sweatsuit on me.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 That was that was some. That you, was some like you came
1: uh, out of a P Diddy video. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Great.
3: I was expecting you to have a much more visceral reaction to anything that you were showed from your youth. And it's so, it's, it's just, it's, uh, Sammy,
2: this is obviously, this is going to get cut. I miss you, dude. I miss being, I miss you. I miss
3: being in the same place.
2: That is, that is a beautiful thing. And you, there's every right to be missing, uh, someone that uh, is your blood who's across the country. It's true. You guys are just, you know, thick as thieves. What can I say? I mean, you guys uh, were definitely, uh, you, I mean, everything I was watching in this video and everything we've seen in the past, you play with dinosaurs together. You created towns and villages uh, and Lego, you know, power chips together. You were very much uh, doing everything together uh, and very. uh much creators even from a young age Uh, it's just again I reiterate how fascinating it is that you took your idea of creation and went entirely different paths
1: I I think it was actually the rollerblades that started it all
2: yeah that's for sure
3: (laughs) I thought that was so sweet and I thought that was so sweet and I really appreciate you saying that but at the same time I thought you were going to say white and overprivileged
2: well we know about that but I'm not going to have (laughs) to say anything about that because we already knew that will hasty Fair, fair. Um, Sam Dozier-Hasty uh, has been our guest this week on Lost and Rewound, courtesy of his uh, older brother, Will Gardner-Hasty. Um, and uh, Sam, if anybody wants to stay in touch with you or stay in touch with any of your projects, more importantly, um, is there a good website for them to be referred to?
1: Yeah, I appreciate the question. So our nonprofit in Memphis is called Light Memphis, L-I-T-E. Uh, and the website is Um And then my fund that I'm now working with that's focused on um, emissions reduction is called Active Impact Investments, spelled just like it sounds, uh, ActiveImpactInvestments.com.
2: Our thanks again to Sam Hasty for joining us this hour. And a huge thanks, as always, to Rachel and Will for holding it down for this edition Episode 248, to be exact, of Lost and Rewound. Be sure to come back next Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern for another installment, only here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Until then, from here in the lair, this is Elon Danziger, signing off. Peace.
1: got a thing you guys ready do it do it yeah. oh my god yes please you're gonna be sorely disappointed i'm sorry oh, what do you, fucking do you think you're listening to radio free brooklyn and it's time to get lost and uh, re-round <laughs> so good. See one more time one more time
3: we're gonna run through it two more times here we go and it's time oh, to get no, lost I'm and
1: I'm done. Oh, come on. One more. I had to go for it. I'm super embarrassed. As soon as I said it, it was so good. Because it's time to get embarrassed with us. I'm done. I'm I'm done. done. I did it. (laughs) I went for it. I'm done. It's over.